There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Andrew Bowser. And I'm Sapphire Sandalo. And welcome to Alter Weekly. Coming up on the show, we talk with actors Danielle Harris and Miko Hughes about what it was like growing up as a star in the horror genre. Then we talk about this week's Alter Society pick, Black Box. But first, uh, I feel like we, we, we have to provide a caveat, a disclaimer of sorts. Uh, we're recording this the day there has been uh, a, a riot, an, an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building. So... Uh, speaking for myself, at least, I'm a little out of sorts. Uh, how are you, Sapphire? <laughs> <laughs> how you feeling? Um, you okay? Yeah, everything is 100% totally <laughs> normal. Nothing weird is happening in the world. Yeah. Um, I'm not to the level yet. I haven't coped with the state of the world yet to where I can even kind of joke about the like black mirror aspect of what we're experiencing you know what i mean i only can feel it viscerally gutturally i've got no take it's terrifying Mm -hmm. it is a real world horror what's happening and i and i don't know where it goes from here i've got i've got no cool funny tweet i've got nothing on what's oh, happening. same. Honestly, same. But I will I'll tell you something that someone told me okay. on Wednesday. Um, so on my other podcast, I was interviewing somebody in Australia, and he is a psychic and medium, and he works with the spirit world a lot. And he was like, you know, I've seen a lot of unreal things in my life, but what's going on in your country right now is the most unreal thing I've seen. And I was yeah. like, oh! <laughs> I heard something similar. It wasn't worded as strongly, but uh, from a friend of mine in uh, in London, they 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 messaged me like, "Y'all doing okay? <laughs> you know, like what's going on exactly?" He was like, "There's just people inside. They're just sitting at people's desks." This went in, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. I'm listening to I'm trying to unpack exactly how how it all went down. I'm soaking in podcasts that know more about what went down and and how it was even possible. But uh, I don't think I recognized until today, uh, because Saturday is my therapy day, mm. uh, um, how, and don't worry, I told her about the cube game that we went through <gasps> together. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I realized how destabilizing the whole experience was just as a, a common citizen witnessing mm. those, mm-hmm. those events through a TV screen. Um, I don't know. It's pretty, pretty destabilizing. Uh, it feels like we're on one big plane and there's a fuck ton of turbulence. That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. So Alter Weekly <laughs> is a show about in-depth discussions around the horror genre. No, there's no transition. I don't know. There's no transition. <laughs> it's scary out there. We hope the plane lands safely, whatever that means. Um, and we hope the gremlin on the side of the wing never returns. I know. Well, we got to get freaking the people 
to make sure that doesn't happen again by invoking the 25th Amendment. Yes, yes. It'd be really fun to talk about this whole situation only using horror analogies. (laughs) But Oh, man, if only we were so clever. (laughs) I know, if only we were so clever. I feel like I'd run run out of runway real quick on that, though. I'd probably just say gremlin over and over again. But yes, we, uh, yeah, we need, you know, well, in, go- in, in, in ghoulies, there's like a cult that has raised the ghoulies. So the problem yeah. is you could get rid of the ghoulie that's coming out of the toilet. But have you gotten rid of the power source, the occultic power source, not to speak in conspiracy terms. I'm not one of those, but metaphorically, yes, we have to pray that the power source is also not pray, but we have to hope Every word is weaponized now, you know? I know. <laughs> There's no word. I don't want people to think I'm a hope and prayer guy. <laughs> we got to get the ghoulies out, and we got to get the occultic power that put them in place out so that the ghoulies can't come back. <laughs> news Slash. That's right. It's time for your News Slash. Evil Dead the Game will also feature Pablo as a playable character, voiced by Ray Santiago. Earlier this week, Dana DiLorenzo from Ash vs. Evil Dead officially announced that she'll do the voice of Kelly Maxwell in the game that also features Bruce Campbell returning as Ash. Boss Team Games and Saber Interactive are behind the game that has no specific release date but will be an upcoming co-op and PvP multiplayer title for PC, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series XS, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. Jessica Roth from Happy Death Day did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter recently and said she'd love a Happy Death Day freaky crossover. Roth told Hollywood Reporter, I think that's totally the way to go because Catherine Newton's character in Freaky embodies so much strength, power, and twisted badassness in that role. I was so lucky to go to see it opening weekend and it has such fun wild performances from both Catherine and Vince Vaughn, so I agree that it totally needs to be a showdown of Tree versus Millie. And maybe Vince can make a cameo as a Scream Queen because he gave us Scream Queens a run for our money. He did a really good job. Freaky is now available on VOD. Vera Farmiga will star in and produce an upcoming horror fairy tale entitled Bad Bloom. The Hollywood Reporter reports the horror fairy tale will portray a family living in isolation on a remote island to keep an unknown creature at bay. Their tightly guarded reality begins to unravel when one of the children learns the monster they feared is not the monster they envisioned. Brian McGuire will make his feature directorial debut with Bad Bloom. And that's it. That's your News Slash. News Slash. Both Danielle Harris and Miko Hughes made a name for themselves early on in their careers as child actors that were familiar to audiences across many genres. But today, we talk to them both about their work in the horror genre. Miko, starring in Pet Cemetery and Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and Danielle for her roles in the Halloween franchise and beyond. Well, Danielle and Miko, thank you so much for joining us. We've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. We're both very excited to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. So let's just start at the top for each of you. Um, how did you get into acting? And and were horror projects both your first feature films? Um, yes, it was Halloween 4 was my first feature. And uh, Pet Cemetery was my first feature. I think I had done like a public service announcement and a couple of small commercials before that, but that was the first like meaty role. And w- was there trepidation on... Uh, either of your parts to get involved in horror at such a young age or on your parents' part? Did, 
Was there uh, any concern or were was everyone game to get involved in the genre at such a young age? I mean, my parents didn't give a shit. They were just like, woohoo, <laughs> she's going to do a movie. You know, that was, you know, my my mom's reaction. I got to imagine it was probably similar. Um, I, from what I'm told, they were, you know, careful about what I would be exposed to. And, and filming is totally different than watching a horror movie. So um, it, was, it was relatively uh, safe in that regard. And uh, uh, I wouldn't see it till I was much older. So I didn't have to worry about it, like scarring me or anything. Was there, for both of you, was there any awareness, uh, Danielle, maybe more specifically for you, was there awareness around how iconic the franchise was that you were entering? I imagine, Miko, for you, that that you weren't old enough to quite have cognizance <laughs> around Stephen King and Pet Cemetery and so small. the largeness of that, but yeah. For the Nightmare series I did, I was very excited, but not Pet Cemetery. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Well, so did you have awareness when you entered these franchises, whether it be Nightmare or Halloween, that you were stepping into something iconic? I, I still can't believe we're talking about it <laughs> for this many years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be honest, and I just like started embracing it really over the last couple of years. Um, but I mean, nobody really brought it up to me, uh, and I didn't see the original until you know a few years after I had done it. So. Uh, I didn't really get the the gist, and you know, I, Halloween four was came off of Halloween three, and it had been quite a few years, so it wasn't like people were talking about it uh, around uh, in my lifetime before I ended up doing the movie. So I only realized after the fact, and then it was confusing because I was it was like all my little you know junior high school friends that were like going to the movie theater with me and in a stretch limo in Queens, like, you know, we just thought it was so cool more so than, I mean, all dressed up and, you know, just really ridiculous, but I think it was more fun. And, but I didn't, it, I didn't really understand the, the, um, the, the weight of the franchise until recently, maybe. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I remember Freddie being like a pop culture icon beyond just a, horror movie uh, character. I mean, it, it was a weird time, I think in the 90s where, where Freddie was, I didn't see any of the movies, but I knew the character pretty well. It was like, I almost want to say was, there was a breakfast cereal, like kids, small probably, kids knew about it was Freddie yeah. and Jason. And, and that's kind of strange. You don't really see that nowadays with like Jigsaw or, or something like that. For whatever reason, it had that kind of cultural impact. So uh, I was really excited auditioning for the role. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, even though I hadn't seen it, I went and saw the first one um, just to kind of prepare myself. And, and I thought it was just the coolest thing to, to get to, you know, be in a Freddy Krueger movie. Pet Cemetery, less so, I was so little. Um, you know, I think it only had the book previously. Um, and then maybe 10 years or so after, as I became an adult, I kind of saw what a maybe culty kind of following uh, it, had, it had become. Were you both, I know you were both so young, but like, were you both horror fans around the time that you both started acting? Um, I think I was just kind of getting into trouble, like watching things that maybe I shouldn't be. So right around the 10, 11 year old time was when uh, I started to, to, you know, sneak in when HBO was on late at night and maybe catch glimpses of things that I, my mom didn't, you know, willingly show me. So um, yeah, that's when I started watching horror movies. I think the first movie I saw in the theater that wasn't a Disney movie 
um, I went with my brother um, and uh, I went with my nephews and my brother. He took us to go see Army of Darkness. Um, so I'm not sure what year that would be, but that was kind of my, my introduction to horror uh, as I grew up. And yeah, yeah, I definitely enjoy it. I know that uh, we, we, we interviewed a filmmaker recently who worked with children in a, in a horror film that, uh, that he just directed and, and, you know, said that he didn't feel like he had to scare the, the young actors, that he could work with them in a way to respond to, to the things off screen and get the response without actually instilling any fear in them. But I have to say with both of you, there's, there's some reaction shots in, in both Halloween 4 and throughout Pet Cemetery and New Nightmare that really feel like you're both jarred and uh, that really feel like you were shook. Do you ever remember being scared on a horror set or was the artifice of the whole thing very apparent? I mean, I wasn't scared at all during the filming. It was, I was more scared of like, sometimes when you're filming on location, you're like having to wait around the corner for them to say action. So you're like off, you know, you're not on, on in the frame. So I think it was more like, oh God, I'm around the corner in the middle of the night of this house and it's dark and then by myself over here because the crew's like all the way on the other side of the street they've got long lenses so that's the only time that I was scared was like the, the little girl in me came out you know during that time but then once I rounded the corner the scared part of me was just acting mm -hmm. um yeah I think it's depending on the scenario it, it, it can benefit setting up um, um a scene or, or getting to a place where you can be actually scared. And I think that happened on New Nightmare once, uh, particularly strongly. And I think I was like seven. I had a bad day. I, I didn't respond well to it, but uh, all in all, it was it was fine. You know, for the most part, it's it's kids pretend a lot. So, you know, it takes some effort, but you get you can get to an emotional place. You can get to a scared place. And uh, uh, there's probably a mix of a little bit of everything, but nothing too you know dramatic. When did both of you realize that you yourselves had become icons in the genre? Was it horror conventions and seeing that there were people with posters and 8 by 10s who were wanting to meet you? I think social media had a big part of that for me. And seeing, I think when you see your first meme of yourself, and you're like, <laughs> someone took the time to do that? That's so <laughs> weird. Um, and then just sort of seeing the the community and the, the culture, you know, in, in our little world, which is not so little when you have access to seeing everyone's, you know, fandom in their homes like mine. Like when I, I've done a couple of like lives on Instagram and, and I'm always excited when people pick up to see what their house looks like. That's been like the best thing about quarantine is to see their rooms, you know, or, uh -huh. but I mean, but you think like back in the old, you know, the 80s Fangoria convention days, those things were packed. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's always, it's always been there, but I think, you know, you just think, oh, it's a convention. I didn't really realize the, the, the community is, is as intense as it is until social media. And I was able to see it. Miko, was there a particular experience for you uh, that made you realize um, how iconic a performance that you gave as how old were you in Pet Cemetery? was uh 27 months when we started filming um, holy so moly is that just i mean two. there must be a somewhat a somewhat of a disassociative relationship to that performance when you see it but uh is it when did you realize that that was an icon in horror for people yeah i, I definitely disassociate it's it's the easiest role for me to watch because i can just get lost in the story i can disconnect it from being me 
um, some of the stuff I did as I was older, I'm, I see it as myself and I can kind of judge it. Uh, I judge myself a little more harshly because I remember the conditions of the set and, and being there. Um, but yeah, I think social media, the, the memes are definitely <laughs> entertaining and surprising um, that, that kind of just gives it new life and, and keeps things fresh. Um, which I always just repost. I think I've got a whole story folder of just memes that have been sent uh, on my Instagram. I think, but conventions really, I think is where I see it front and center. Um, if, I, if I ever kind of forget, I don't really think about it on a daily basis, um, but, but it's really fun to just go out and meet a ton of people and, and, you know, hear that and feel, you know, that see so many people that connected with it, that it's, it's overwhelming. It's, it's pretty cool. I have a question for you, Miko. How many people have come up to you at a convention and told you they've named their kid Gage? Gage. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. It, a, lot. a lot. More than you might think, uh, I'd say. <laughs> wow. Like over the course of, unless I've seen some of them more than once at shows or, you know, heard about them, I want to say close to like 50, like under 50, but that's more than so weird. That's, that's only like, 20. Don't you know, yeah. like, like doing <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's only the 50 that you know of. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. So, what about uh, Danielle? Do you, do you get a lot of tattoos? I get a lot of tattoos. I've seen a lot. Yeah, of that that's I, a trip. It's one, like a mix of you're... like me as an adult sometimes, which is kind of even weirder. Like I get the 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 poster stuff or like the Halloween stuff. Um, I don't. That's cool. Sure. I mean, they're they're a trip. People will if they come up to me and say they've named their kid Jamie. My reaction's always like, you know that I kill my mom at the <laughs> end yeah. of the movie. Like, yeah. might have not wanted to name her Jamie, just this so is, you know. Yeah, <laughs> this is based on tragedy. That's what you're going for. <laughs> like, yeah. So weird but i don't know even even the younger tattoo i don't think it's it's weird all around i definitely appreciate the sentiment and and it's flattering um but also like there's people out there with a picture of my baby face right next to their crotch <laughs> around their yeah. ass like it's weird <laughs> like it Man, freaks me out i wish bit. i was one of those people because It'd be such a great reveal to show you my gauge tattoo. If you stood up right now. And <laughs> That's nice. I was going to ask both of you, without having to put any fans on blast, what are just some of the most eccentric or interesting fan interactions or gifts that you've received? Um, you know, have people made dolls of you, homemade earrings? I've seen a lot of, a lot of gifts exchanged at conventions that people have worked on for a long time to give uh, to their the celebrities they're hoping to meet. Yeah, no, there's there's been some really creative ones before. Uh, most recently, I'm remembering a, a vinyl. Somebody cut a, a 45 vinyl with uh, an outline, like stencil of Gage, huh. um, which I thought was really unique. It was like like hand cut. Um, some other really creative stuff or some of the cosplays. Uh, I saw uh, uh, it was like, there was a meme and then they based it off of the meme. It was like cute couple ideas and it was Gage and the truck. And they dressed up as the truck, like full, went all out with it. And then Gage had the kite, that, that was really entertaining. And then I saw a, a, a church furry, of Church the Cat that was, that was furry. Yeah. And it was super, super detailed, undead, like glowing green eyes. Um, just, it's incredible, like how, how, how much creativity can be put into something that you know something like that they find ways that i would never imagine to to expand on it i wanted to talk a little about your relationship to the genre and if it's changed over the years was there ever a time where you felt 
as performers that the genre and being a part of it was limiting uh, in your career, that it that it typecast you in any sort of way? I mean, I love to work. So for me, I, I mean, I didn't do horror movies for 20 years, not mm-hmm. because it was a choice, just because my career took me in a different, you know, I started doing like comedies and action stuff and TV stuff. Um, but I think as I've gotten older, I definitely have had a little more pushback from, uh, you know, playing roles outside of the genre. But at the end of the day, for me as a, as a woman and not, you know, a famous woman um, outside of this world, realistically, um, it's afforded me to be able to continue to work and play leading ladies that I wouldn't normally get that opportunity. And, you know, playing the heroine of these, of these movies is, you have to have really big acting chops now. It's Mm -hmm. different, you know, um, the stuff that we're required to do. I mean, I'm going to go shoot a movie tomorrow and I've got four days and I've got an enormous amount of stuff. And, and I've, you know, I'm excited about some of the stuff that I get to do that I'm like, oh, I've never done anything. I've never done that. Like I have kids in it. I've got an 18 year old daughter. I'm like, oh my God, am I, how old am I getting? You know, I still see myself in my head as (laughs) young. So, and she, this hot piece of ass. So like, and I could, I mean, I'm 43, you know, I could very well have an 18 year old daughter, but it's just, I think I I still see myself a certain way, but I've definitely embraced the genre and and what it's afforded me. And I would never bite the hand that feeds me and the amount of love and support I get from this community. I couldn't get it in any other, you know, in any other form. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't, I don't feel that I've been pigeonholed as like a horror actor. I think I had a a pretty broad um, career when I was acting, Uh, but it was horror that kind of stuck around. So there's not conventions for comedies necessarily. Like horror is such a a fan driven subgenre. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the people that love it really love it and, and they, they get obscure with it and they, 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 you know, they continue to follow it. Um, so I think it seems like I've fallen into this, this horror, um, thing a bit. And that's, that's a testament to the fans. And I can't complain because they were, I think two of the favorite films that I've done, you know, if I was going to pick things, I would, I would pick that. So yeah, I'm happy to be, uh, associated with horror. Well, that, that was what I was going to ask is why are the fans so passionate when it comes to this genre? Um, and, and not that, you know, I will be inviting you to my kindergarten cop convention. Uh, <laughs> I get it up and running. But, uh, uh, but why are horror fans, uh, why do they congregate this way and commune this way and create these? Um, I think legacy matters a lot to them and respecting kind of what's been achieved in the genre matters a lot to them. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I wonder if there's an element of like, because horror is, is it, fear is so primal, it kind of sears itself into your, your memory that people really can connect to these films that, that they might leave a larger impact on some uh, than, than say another type of movie that makes you feel that the horror is, is so primal and raw and, and some people really connect with that and, uh, and it sticks with them. You know, I think that because, for me anyway, I don't know, Miko, if you feel the same way, but I think there's a, um, a level of like, like really emotionally invested in us because we were so young doing right. these. And so it's like a combination of really caring about us as little kids going through something so traumatic. So you don't see a lot of that nowadays. Um, 
versus which is maybe why we we've stuck around and we're still here talking about it still uh versus you maybe older people i, I don't know there's got to be some kind of emotional connection or that's right around the age where you start watching these movies mm-hmm. this is, you know, people were 10 when they first saw their first horror movie and i was 10 and they're like oh my god it happened to her it could happen to me i mean i remember seeing pet cemetery being like oh my god you know so i remembered it because i could relate to it so i think that's um creepy and sticks with you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. What about the current state of the genre? Are you horror fans now? Are you fans of current horror films? And then with that, what's your opinion on everything under the sun being remade? I mean, you've each been a part of films that have been remade or kind of reconfigured or retconned to some degree and i have my own opinions as a horror fan (laughs) sapphire knows them um and so i know you know with the current halloween timeline that things of your character are now in another timeline and obviously the pet cemetery remake involved an entirely different character being the child that died i think remakes are are not going to go away. I think that the studios are trying to make movies that for a, a new generation, you know, um, thinking that maybe they haven't seen the old one and the, the younger kids are the ones that are watching. And, and I think that they're really wrong. You know, I, I was just talking about the remake Candyman and, and, you know, and, and I think Robert England posted something about the, you know, the Freddy versus Jason Freddy guy. And I don't understand, you know, my friend Kane Hodder too. Like, I don't understand why they're not keeping these people and these characters because it's they 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 are them so I mean even me listen I watched the new Halloween uh and uh 2018 for the first time a couple weeks ago well a couple months ago now and at first I was pissed that you know she has a daughter I got it back in the day you know H2O like Josh Hartnett he was a big star and (laughs) super cute and there was all you know everyone was like making teen movies and like I got it I was like she has a son they're gonna ignore the fact that she has a daughter oh well it is what it is he's the movie star and then now you're like oh fuck she has a daughter what would have what would it have hurt them to have brought the two characters together. Totally. I think the fans would have been really, really stoked to see it. And I would have loved to have had that screen time with her because I've you know, not even met her. So mm-hmm. um, that would have been so cool. But then they hire an actress that is incredibly famous, but I don't know if she lends to the fans 
want, you know, that they don't really bring anything to the table by replacing people. So I'm cool for them continuing franchise, you know, continuing to make movies and have, you know, Michael Myers and you've got, you know, Laurie and all this stuff and, and Freddie, but I just want to kind of see it old school because we're the ones that are watching. Well, well, I completely agree with you. I'm playing devil's advocate, it, it could be worse. It could happen. And then you wind up with something like the new Star Wars where it's like just fan service, but makes no sense and is right. an abomination, personal opinion. Right. But uh, we heard you like some Star Wars. So we put some Star yeah. Wars on your, on your Star Wars. Yeah, essentially. Um, but yeah, as far as like remakes go, I think at the end of the day, it's a business. And if there's an established IP and a fan base, they can make a remake. And they're not only making money on the remake, even if it's not good, they know a lot of people will go see it. The marketing is already kind of done. And I can't complain about this because they can sell a limited edition reboot or, you know, refresh of the original, um, which totally helps, you know, me myself and, and Danielle and others that are, that are in the originals. So as much as I would love to be like in a cameo or, or have some sort of, um, you know, fingerprint on the, on the newer ones, uh, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, who knows? Uh, uh, I was kind of hoping on this last one, maybe I'd play like the truck driver or something, but yeah. at this point, I'm, I'm just going to keep my uh, fingers crossed and maybe 30 years I can play Judd yeah. <laughs> in the third remake. <laughs> I'll be there for that for sure. Yeah, me too. <laughs> What's one of your favorite memories from the horror sets you've been on? Um, whether it's one of those goofy stories of someone in a Michael Myers mask trying to make you laugh, you know, to bring some levity in a scene or... You know, anything that you think a fan would love to hear that's anecdotal from your experience? Oh, God. So there was a, I hadn't thought about this in so long. There was a, you know, we worked nights, right? So we were in Salt Lake City, uh, which, you know, was a little shocking, I think, for some of the community to <laughs> to um, have a lot of that, uh, you know, stuff going on in the neighborhoods. But I came home uh, one morning, so we wrapped it, I don't know, maybe like seven in the morning staying at this hotel, University Park Hotel, Salt Lake. And Greg Nicotero, who, you know, Greg Nicotero, um, was doing uh, makeup effects. And he was like my father figure on set. He used to let me like cut his hair. And I think I even broke into his hotel room one day and I scotch taped his underwear all along the wall down the hallway. <laughs> and um, we came home and we were in, we got in the elevator together and I had forgotten that I had had all my bruises and all of my stuff on my face still. <laughs> and I saw that the, there was a Mary, a couple, it was, you know, now it's like seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, everyone's coming down to go to breakfast. And there's this little girl that looks like she's had the shit beaten out of her. <laughs> and I, it took me like a second to realize why they were staring at me. And then just cause I think I thought it was funny. I just started freaking out you know I promise I won't do it again daddy I promise I won't I won't lie I won't lie you know just like goofy goofy stuff like that when you're a kid you're like this is fun get to play you know play pretend so um yeah there was there was so many especially like New Nightmare was probably the best set I ever worked on Wes Craven had such a good team and it was it was so low stress you know a lot of times on set things can be um you know high pressure and whatnot and I just it he just had such a cool, cool team. And I had a birthday one day and uh, they set it up throughout the whole day of filming at like intervals, uh, a scavenger hunt. And I would go to like a different department head and like, I forget if there was riddles, there was like, it was like notes. 
and they each had a different Power Ranger action figure or like birthday <laughs> gifts. And uh, those were like incredibly hard to find at the time. I don't know what it is nowadays, but there's always that like it Christmas item that you can never get. And, uh, and those were so hard to find. And I remember that just being like one of the maybe best days of my life as a kid was I'm working on this awesome, fun movie running around with, you know, people in makeup and, and barf and knives on my hands and whatever else. And uh, the, the hell set was like a playground. It was so cool. Um, and everybody was just, it was like a family, you know? And then, uh, I don't know, maybe it's like a little self-serving, but that, that was just like such a, such a great day that I remember. It's so funny that you say that because as a, as a, as a young person watching that movie and also like being a kid actor myself, I remember watching that movie and thinking, man, I bet that hell set was fun to run around on. <laughs> it was <laughs> already huge. I yeah. bet. Danielle, how did your involvement in the zombie Halloween come about? Was it because he knew you as uh, as Jamie Lloyd or was was it uh, happenstance? How'd that work? It was the opposite, actually. You know, he, well, okay, so I was at a convention and a fan came up to me. Uh, I was in Boston and a fan came up to me and said, you know, they're, they're you know, they're remaking Halloween and and you're, you're starring in it. That's so cool. It's like, Oh, I am really <laughs> it's news to me um now I don't know anything about it and they were like yeah they're you know you're you're gonna be Lori and Rob Zombie's directing it and I, I was a big fan of Rob's but I hadn't heard that he was you know re redoing it and I thought that's so weird I could I, I can't imagine that yeah that's probably never gonna happen so of course I got back home and called my manager and said hey can you just you know maybe call Malik and see like what's the deal with the movie and there's kind of rumors and I'm cool with them the rumors starting I would love to be part of it so I'd love to work with Rob and the reaction back was he doesn't want anybody from any of the other Halloween movies so hmm. it's, it's not going to happen so we kind of went over their head and I just we just kind of pushed me into a casting and casting was like I think if Rob sees you on like on film maybe he'll reconsider and um you know and it was also a choice for me to do because there was nudity and it was a really great opportunity to I thought to not be seen as a little girl anymore um even though I was playing a teenager still so I could still continue to play younger uh but it was important and then so I auditioned I also didn't know that Rob was in the other room so Rob's not in the room he's watching you on the monitor okay um, on the feed because he he says like he's never he doesn't want to be swayed by the person in the room if hmm. he really likes you so for him he just wants to see what you look like on screen and if he if that fits you know what he's watching uh so i did it and then i i rob signed off and and then weinstein signed off and then i just had to get malik to sign off and and rob really pushed him to to get me to do it and then you know, there, there I was, but I didn't know that I was going to live until I got the script, like, you know, a few weeks later and I was reading it. And I remember being in my bedroom going, Oh my God. Oh my God. Holy shit. She lives. Wait, <laughs> yeah. wait, wait. I was like waiting to die climbing through, like, you know, in the car, like going through, like, where's the scene in the laundry room where she's where Annie's climbing through the window. Like what, wait, this is so different than I thought it was going to be. So I yeah. was pretty stoked about that for sure. I have to ask, I'm curious to know if fans ever asked you to quote, your movies. I imagine that must be weird, especially, you know, Miko, for you, uh, do they ever ask you to say, no fair, no fair, like you do in, in, in Pet Cemetery? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing because I'm more than happy to do it, but I haven't figured out how to do it cool. 
Like I'm a grown ass man. And if I start talking like baby talk, it's, it gets weird, you know? So like, like I've done those cameo things before. It's always like, I want to do it and I want to make it fun. I want people to like have a good experience, but like, and I, I, I understand why that's what they want, but it's like, we're a kindergarten cop, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same like effect as an adult. So it's, right. I get it and I'm, I'm happy to do it, but it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of funny because of that. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't quite translate. Uh, is yeah. <laughs> something that an adult should be saying. Uh, Danielle, do people ever, are there any weird photo op? Do people ever ask you to, do you have the costume? Do you have the adult version of the costume that you wore I as do. Jamie? I you do, do actually. And I have, I, last year I pulled it out a couple times. I had never thought about <laughs> it before. And then I was like, cause it's just, a, it's, it was like a, a remake. Like my grandma made it for me, you know, cause oh, I wow. stupidly didn't have my costume. So, um, one thing that people do ask me often, which is always very odd to me, um, is they want to take a picture with me, but they want to pick me up. Oh, wow. They want to hold me like this. And I mean, I'm a 40 something year old woman. Like that's, I'm not a little nine year old. So like, would you go up to another like woman and ask or anybody and be like, can I pick you up? I mean, that's so yeah, it's as weird as, you know, yeah, no, no, that's yeah. strange. <laughs> yeah. It's, I can see how it like <laughs> makes sense if for a half a moment, but to go through, yeah, with like in, in practice, that's such a weird, such a weird thing. Yeah. Or the people that like come to conventions dressed as Michael and they, it's, it's every show in the beginning. It's it always Friday you. night and they'll stand like 20, like 10 feet from the table in character, like breathing heavy, like, holding their knife and their mask and I have to purposely look at them and break that and go like hi because I don't want them to like roll one they want to like role play like try to scare me that's just not it's a movie dude it's like not gonna happen so it's very interesting you have to just draw those boundaries pretty quickly yes yeah and that's a thing you do at conventions is is kind of role play it out but but horror it does kind of make it tricky especially when you're you're there all day and if there's like 20 Michael Myers you, you can't be scared of every one of them you know you right interact on a human level at some point for sure uh do either of you have any cool souvenirs that you've taken from sets i have the park uh, it was the glendale park um in from new nightmare where i climb on the rocket and and try to reach god yeah um, and fall off of they didn't want anybody recreating the um the scene from the movie and it was it was due for an upgrade anyway um so the city uh, tore it down was going to put new ones in after we filmed my parents asked them what they were going to do with it and they said take it to the dump so they arranged to have it taken to to our family home like out in the country uh so i had that for like birthday parties and we put a trampoline in the ground nearby and it was, it was pretty cool growing up that's awesome that. yeah that's one yeah. of the coolest souvenirs i've heard of being taken from set yeah yeah an entire park and then some other little stuff from like pet cemetery i've got one of the the fake syringes um, and then like a plaster cast of my head um, and a little toy truck that I think is in one scene. And oh, from New Nightmare, some some Rex dolls and some of the PJs, so, a few things. Yeah. Danielle, any things, anything you've ever had uh, gifted to you from set or that you've taken from set? You know, I just started getting savvy to that as I got older. Um, I wish I could have kept stuff. I, I did keep a leg from Halloween five uh it got cut out of the movie but he stabs me through the leg in the laundry chute um 
and uh it's so funny how they cut that out but like they leave all this other horrifying stuff in there so I had the leg but I didn't I gave it to my cousin who was like super into that stuff we were so young and then he like lost it it was in his attic and then he lost it and I was like God, I probably shouldn't have just I probably shouldn't have given him that um otherwise nowadays I just take one thing from each character that I play and it's usually the one piece of clothing that represents that you know that character the most and it's usually the piece of clothing that's covered in blood mm-hmm Essentially, so I've got a lot of like, you know, tank tops or a jacket or, a, you know, something that I try to not have like, I don't want the whole outfit. I just want like the one little thing because everything's in one box. So I have like my script and like a call sheet and then, you know, an airline ticket or something and then usually like a tank top covered in blood. Well, to wrap things up for each of you, we would like to know, as you grew up acting, did acting remain your primary focus and passion? Or did you realize that there was another interest that you wanted to follow? Like, what's your relationship like now with acting? I hate auditioning. I enjoy <laughs> acting. I'm not a, I'm not opposed to it, but it's not something I'm like actively pursuing. But I do love being on set. So I've kind of <laughs> taken more of a behind the camera role in recent years. Um, I found that's kind of been a balance that that's worked best for me. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I'm much more interested in, uh, in all the elements that go into it. Cause I, I feel like there's just so much more to learn and so much more creativity that goes into the making of. So, you know, directing and, and camera stuff. And I love score and I love color and edit and all of that stuff. I can't do any of it, but I'm all about being a part of the process. So directing is great for me because I do love working with actors and, and pushing, you know, it's been a long time since I've been on a set where I've been pushed as an actor. So, and that may be due because there are a lot of genre movies and maybe I think for me, the directors are usually fanboys and they don't want to like overstep their boundary by giving me notes on stuff that they think that I should already know. But as an actor, I do love to, to you know, take chances and be given direction and be told what to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like, I like the creative process. I love being on set. I, I don't, I don't have a desire. I always say like, I don't want to be number one on the call sheet. I really don't. Um, I would love to be on a TV show just because there's stability there. Um, mm -hmm. it would be great to be, have it be something in this world, but I want to be like number five. I want to work like a day or two a week and I want to create my own stuff. So, you know, I don't know. You don't want to, for me now with kids and stuff, like I don't want to bear the burden of being, you know, working 15 hour days for six weeks and, you know, being beaten and raped and, you know, stabbed and struggled and locked in a cage in the middle of the winter in a right. forest somewhere with just underwear on. So, you know, at, at some point it's like, oh, I've done that. That's cool. I'm so mm -hmm. glad I did that. No, I don't want to do that anymore. I'll go to something else. But then there's always characters that you're like, oh, that's cool. Oh, I have to, I have to, I have to play a mom of a daughter. Like, ooh, I haven't done that before. So there's still excitement in it. Are there any current projects or podcasts uh, that you want to point our listeners toward that you're working on right now? Well, I started to do a show out of my house during quarantine that Miko was actually on. Um, it was so much fun. A bunch, bunch yeah. of my other friends. <laughs> it's so goofy. I love our episode, by the way. So yeah. it was, it's called Common Terror. Uh, because, you know, back in the 90s, we had all the commentary, where the extras on the DVDs that I always thought was so cool to hear the behind the scenes stuff. And I also know everybody in the genre, but I don't know their movies. And it's also cool to like 
watch them watch themselves. So it's basically a 30 minute episode and 90 minutes as well. And we sit down together in this room and we watch like Miko and I watched Pet Cemetery together. Hmm. And there's a lot of things as an actress in that world. And we speak the same language, you know, so a lot of things I'm picking out or seeing for the first time. And it's also really great because we don't even talk that much about the movie as well. We get to really, you know, just have a conversation about whatever. And the best thing about it is I get to do it at home and there's no prep work because it's just me and a drink and we watch a movie. So I don't have to like have a show producer like pulling up questions and, you know, sitting down and having to do all of this research before. And so this is like, it's like the perfect, perfect thing for me. So we did um, uh, 16 episodes and I have just put the, I have the trailer on YouTube and I'm just trying to find a home for it now. So I'm creating some stuff and, and going to shop and see where we want to take it. Miko, anything you want to point our listeners toward? Um, as far as like the horror world, there's a fan film that, that's been kind of in the works for a little while called Dylan's New Nightmare um, that kind of picks up where uh, New Nightmare left off like 20 years later. Uh, it got postponed because of COVID, but it's still in the works. Hopefully we're, there's going to be some movement on, on it this year. So uh, I'm sure I'll be posting about that as it happens. And then uh, I'm on uh, Instagram, what was Miko and Twitter, Miko Hughes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to both of you for being here. This is a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. And welcome to the Alter Society, where we watch a new movie every single every single week, every other week. Uh, it's well, I don't even know if it's that strict of a schedule. I think it's kind of been whenever. Whenever. <laughs> yeah, here on the Alter Society, right. we watch a movie whenever. <laughs> whenever we feel like it. Yeah, Sammy. yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this week, you all voted on Black Box, which is on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So for those that don't know, it's part of the Welcome to the Blumhouse Amazon Studios collab. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a uh, here's the plot of the film. After losing his wife and his memory in a car accident, a single father undergoes an agonizing experimental treatment that causes him to question who he really is. It was directed by Emmanuel Osei Kufour Jr., and it stars... Mamadou Athi and Felicia Rashad. And I was, mm. um, I felt so dumb because once it began, I was like, I really like this lead actor. What's he from? And then I looked up his IMDb and it was like a lot of things. So he's, <laughs> he's probably on a lot of people's radars, but he was, he was new to me. I hadn't watched any of the TV shows or seen the films he was in. Mm. But obviously Felicia Rashad, we know as mm-hmm. Claire Huxtable. So what did you think going into Black Box? Is this the first one of the Welcome to the Blumhouse Amazon movies that you've watched? I think it is. Yeah. I don't know if I know what the rest of them are. This is not Into the Dark, right? No, that's what that's what I find so interesting. Oh, okay. They have a deal with Hulu to do features that are kind of like, and not to discredit the films, but they are on smaller budgets. I feel like they've got like uh-huh. TV resources behind them. Um, but now mm-hmm. they have the same a similar deal with Amazon to create these smaller features. Wow. Yeah. Good for them. I know different studios (laughs) or distributors, but similar deals. At least that's what it looks like from the outside. Okay. Yeah. I guess, I guess it's the first one I've seen. I went in knowing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Me neither. I didn't even watch the trailer. So what'd you think? Mm -hmm. What'd you think when you started the film? Were you into it? I was into it from the beginning. Yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. Did you like it all the way through? Um, I, I think like, hmm, I would say, okay, <laughs> as a whole, yeah. 
I did like the movie. Yes. And I think, um, like, I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of Bloomhouse stuff just doesn't <laughs> work for yeah. me. But I was pleasantly surprised. Like, I, I think I, because I was going in, I'm like, all right, let's see what this is about. Right. And it was, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, it's doing everything right. If yeah. that makes sense. I was like, I like all these characters. It's setting up everything for me. Right. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. I'm interested in knowing what's going to happen. And then um, later on, it did feel a little bit like there were things I, like I wouldn't say I loved it 100%, yeah. but like as a whole, I did really enjoy the movie. Yeah. I think I'm on the same page. I also, oh God. yeah, like, like <laughs> what'd you say? Oh my god! <laughs> I also was into it from the beginning. I felt like they, um, there were I, I should have written this down, but there were even specific character beats that I thought were really uh, unique that they let shine through that the actors brought. Um, mm-hmm. And and I even though I felt like I could tell the 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 budget was small, you know, mm-hmm. you could block shoot a lot of the scenes in the in Felicia Rashad's office, right? Like get those done in a day. You know, you mm-hmm. could block shoot every time he goes to the apartment that he remembers from his uh, or half remembers and has nightmares about. Like it was very truncated in a way that was, I would think, built out because of budgetary restraints and schedule right. restraints. But I thought they did all of that and danced around all those restrictions very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen some of the Blumhouse Hulu movies where I don't feel like they've done that. Maybe they've stretched too far for what they have. Right. And I felt like this actually uh, moved within those restraints restraints in a in a really smart and fulfilling way. Mm-hmm. And I think first and foremost, by like making you like the people and grounding the characters so that you, you wanted to see it through no matter what, which I really did. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess if I had any criticism... It's it's just, it's so difficult to get when the mystery's revealed. I mean, how do you do that and not just have it be a monologue and a data dump? That's the only thing right. is once it's revealed what's going on, and I imagine if you're listening to this, you've watched the film, so spoilers right. for Black Box. It gets a little clunky in the middle to kind of get you through to the other side to know what's really happening and now what does the back half of this film have to tackle? That middle gets yeah. a little like exposition-y with Felicia Rashad's character and what she divulges. But that's difficult. It's difficult in any movie to get that mm-hmm. info out. I don't know if you right. felt the same way or if it didn't bother you as much. Um, I can't even really remember yeah. when that happened. Well, it, it's when, when, uh, when he has the revelation that he's more of someone else than himself and he sees the reflection. Oh, okay. When he comes right. out of that, Felicia Rashad is like, you were my son. And when you died, oh, you're right. I made sure yeah, to bring yeah, yeah. you back to the lab. You know, and that it's just instead of it kind of being woven organically throughout, and then we, we then we can kind of figure it out too. It just has to be told to us. And I feel like ultimately by the end of the film, that didn't pull me out of the movie. It would have pulled me out of a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe a clunky thing like that in the middle of a good movie, it didn't knock me out of it. Oh my god, the part where the I forget the daughter's name is it. Ava, I think. Ava, okay, remember he's like dropping off Ava with Gary and then she like writes on his hand and I was like, oh my God, this bitch is going to write something like, <laughs> uh, like, like the little notes where she says like, um, like 
pick me up or whatever. Yeah. And but then when he they show what he what she actually wrote, I was like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> it's even like more heartbreaking. Totally. Well, let's see what other people thought about Black Box. Oh, okay. we've got comments uh, this week from the Alter listeners and viewers from the YouTube channel. So mm. Pierce said it was surprisingly good. It kept a feeling of suspense throughout the film. And the fact that you're learning along with the main characters was similar to Memento, mm. which I really enjoyed. Mm. It was interesting. Yeah. It was interesting how they decided to take a more sci-fi approach to it. Okay. But the trippy scenes of him in the labyrinth of rooms really creeped me out. All in all, it was a pretty fantastic movie in my opinion. There were a couple things it could have done to make it stand out from other movies similar to this, but I definitely enjoyed watching it. And I even watched it a second time. Oh, wow. Wow. Pierce, number one fan. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Uh, this user's name is Mrs. Not Understood at All. And they say, I loved when he realized what a monster he was and gave the mm. man his life back. Which, uh, yes, yeah. I loved that ending. Yeah. I really did. That is, an, instead of it being this like physical brawl in the mindscape, it was like a personal revelation that made him kind of back away, um, mm-hmm. which was impactful. Uh, let's see. I really enjoyed... This is from K&S Reacts. I really enjoyed this movie. It had a great feel to it. And the little girl was everything for me. <laughs> the ending was a bit crazy. I'm going to have to watch it again. <laughs> I did like the little girl. I usually get really annoyed with the precocious kind of child in a movie like this. But I I liked it here. And I think it's because like it made sense for her to be this way. Yeah. She was taking care of her dad. Totally. Didn't remember anything. I don't know. It worked here. And usually I'm annoyed by it. But All right. Well, a segment of the Alter Society wouldn't be complete without us giving this movie a rating. What are we rating this movie? Uh, what are the objects? We've said, you know, instead of four out of five stars, we, we give it something related to the film. Um, you could just give it uh, how many bendy, bendy men? Bendy mans? Bendy men. Yeah. How many bendy mans? Bendy men. How many bendy men? <laughs> Do you give uh, Black Box? I give Black Box, let's see here, 4.75 Bendy Men. Whoa, nice. I give it a 4 out of 5 Bendy Men. Okay. And it, uh, uh, the only, the, the, the deduction is only for how the information of the plot twist was doled out in a manner that I felt like wasn't wasn't super organic sure. but that was that that was it that could have mm-hmm. been smoothed out for me well that's it for this segment of the alter society but if you go to if you go to the community tab on watch alters youtube page you can see what movies we're going to have you vote on next to decide what we watch on the next alter society before we sign off here is what's coming up on alter this week cats game on january 15th an isolated man named vincent has a dark secret in his basement Then, 100,000 acres on January 18th. Ranger Megan Patel must uncover the mystery surrounding her brother's death. But following his footsteps, Megan discovers a darkness she might not escape. Then, Room 731 on January 20th. Wei is a Chinese girl who has no memory of who she is or where she is. Then, she encounters Dr. Ken and a ghostly young woman who both seem to want to help her. That's all for this week's episode of Alter Weekly. Until next time, stay altered. 
You can catch new episodes of Alter Weekly every Thursday. Get it wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe and download. Alter Weekly is produced by Andrew Bowser with theme music by Sapphire Sandalo. Alter Weekly is executive produced by Stephen Michael and Lauren Palmer at Gunpowder and Sky. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 